Jeff Patterson here. Earlier this week, Rafan Gaffar and David Quadrelli joined me for a rink-wide roundtable looking at the Canucks' season so far. With the team on its all-star break, it seemed like a great time to push out a bonus podcast for our loyal rink-wide listeners. Of course, since we finished the episode, the Canucks have made news on a couple of fronts, giving Patrick Alvin a multi-year extension and then acquiring Elias Lindholm from Calgary. Now, this is the nature of the beast sometimes. We had fun with the roundtable format and covered a lot of ground, so we wanted to make the show available to you. But as you listen, please keep in mind that it was recorded before Wednesday's blockbuster, so you will hear some Andre Kuzmenko references, and our projections for the remainder of the season were made without the benefit of knowing what the Canucks roster would look like coming out of the All-Star break. Lindholm obviously makes the Canucks better. He's versatile. He plays special teams. He should help the Canucks top six, hopefully forming a productive partnership with the other Elias on the roster. He's a dominant face-off guy and a right shot at that, so that gives the Canucks some flexibility in the circle. And while they had to part with Kuzmenko in a first-rounder, they didn't touch any of their top-tier prospects, and I think that makes this a deal a win for the Vancouver Canucks. So lots has happened since we recorded the All-Star Break episode, and with that said, hopefully you'll enjoy this rink-wide roundtable as we look at the Canucks through their first 49 games and where this journey may take them in the months ahead. Rink-wide Vancouver! Vancouver Canucks into their all-star break. They don't play again until February 6th in Carolina, but there's no reason for the hockey talk to stop, and that is why we have convened a special rink-wide roundtable. Jeff Patterson along with Irfan Gaffar and David Quadrelli, two of my regular co-hosts on the post-game pods, Rinkwide's a presentation of Betway, and we're coming to you from our studio in the lower lobby of the Wall Center Hotel, situated in the heart of downtown Vancouver, steps from shopping on Robson, all the dining options and nightlife in Yale Town, easy access to the stadium district, and a quick walk to English Bay. The Wall Center truly is at the center of it all. Well, guys, the Canucks are 33-11-5 through 49 games. They're tied with Boston for top spot in the overall standings, and as we take this pause here at the All-Star break, Let's just reflect on how they got to this point. If you remember, and I'm sure you do, they lost their preseason opener 10-0 in Calgary. <laughs> and here they are, the best team in the National Hockey League. Earth. there's lots of reasons, but I'll start with you. If you narrow it down in your mind, give me one or two keys of why the Vancouver Canucks have amassed 71 points to this point in the season. Rick, talk it. Probably the biggest. I, I think the buy-in from that team, the way things ended the last couple of seasons and getting Rick Tockett in and, you know, him being able to build out his coaching staff and obviously, you know, the additions that that team made. I mean, Casey DeSmith was huge just before the season started. But for me, you know, it all comes down to and what, in my opinion, could be the Jack Adams favorite right now is Rick Tockett. I think that, you know, what he says, a lot of people listen to in that organization, not just the players. He has the respect of the entire room, not to mention his coaching staff, Sergey Gonchar, Adam Foote, the Sedin twins. There's a lot of chemistry with those guys. And I think the biggest thing is that the players respect who's coaching them. Well, we heard a lot about structure, obviously, last year down the stretch. Rick had those 36 games to work with after he took over from Bruce Boudreaux. But Dave, uh, where do you stand on just the reasons for success for this hockey club so far this season? Well, I think Irv touched on it a lot. It's respect for the coaching staff is a really big one, but also just the buy-in. Like, players aren't playing selfishly at all. And this is something Harmon and I have talked about is when you have those times when you're not getting the buy-in from your players, a lot of times players are going to cheat for offense because offense is what's going to pay the bills and that's what's going to get them the big contracts. But right now, you truly have everybody buying in and playing 
tugging on the same rope. And this team just hasn't had that for years. So the fact they have that, I think, is the biggest thing. And yeah, you touched on it. Structure. Structure is the real big thing, I think, when you just watch what this team does on the ice and just the buy-in that they're getting from everybody top to bottom. I think for me, and I don't disagree with any of that. I mean, there are lots of reasons here, but the start was so important. And we spent all off-season talking about the necessity for this group to get it right after last year when it took them eight games to get a victory and all the squandered leads that they had. And for this group to get back to town, assemble relatively early, uh, the 10 nothing preseason loss aside, and ultimately preseason is just that, it doesn't matter, but there seemed to be this understanding of the importance of the start. And so I don't think anybody... I don't know what you guys, I can't speak for you, but I don't think anybody saw them beating Edmonton 8-1 on opening night and then backing it up. And they got outplayed badly in Edmonton and Casey DeSmith and you know, night number two gets the start because uh, Thatcher Demko left the opener, dehydrated. <laughs> and for them to get two wins against the Oilers right out of the gate, forget what the Oilers ultimately have done, but I just think for the psyche of this hockey club, it was so important to get off to a good start. And so back-to-back wins against the Oilers and then, sure, they lose in Philly and Tampa, But the win in Florida, the end of the road trip in Nashville, those were both good wins. And then they came home, and that's really where they sort of put the the hammer down to really establish that this year was going to be different. How how important do you think, as we look back now, was the start for this group? Well, it was massive. I mean, there's we questioned this team for a few seasons now of their starts. And, you know, the Travis Green coach teams didn't didn't get off to those good starts. But I think when you look at their players and, and if you talk to them before the season started it's we need to get off to that good start and, and they did and they weren't beating teams Jeff like they were smoking teams <laughs> early they were running teams out of the building and then I think the Canucks started to get a little bit of attention and then they they didn't really come back down to earth and here we are now obviously in in the all-star break and they're still flying on cloud nine and people around the National Hockey League obviously have finally taken attention to this Vancouver Canucks hockey team, but it was the way that they were winning games. You know, they were blowing teams out of the, out of their own rink, but they were able to do it in different ways. They were able to come back in hockey games and win. And obviously their record after when leading after two periods was incredible all season long until, you know, after the new year when the record finally was broken there. Well, I gave these guys a little homework assignment, and for the podcast listeners, we'll let you put your thinking cap on as well, because we'll get to this a little bit later on in this episode, but we'll kick around our favorite games of the season so far for the Vancouver Canucks, and again, with 33 wins, lots to choose from there. It doesn't have to be a win, but uh, they've won a lot more than they have lost. Dave, when you look back now, uh, go back to October 11th. That's where it started against the Oilers. Brock Besser with four goals that night, an indication of things that maybe were to come for him and how different his season was going to be. What sort of stays with you or stands out all these months later about the start to the season? Well, I think it goes back to the buy-in, right? Like we just talked about buy-in. All these players got here early. And another aspect that I think we haven't touched on enough is naming Quinn Hughes captain of this team, naming him early before training camp, getting that out of the way, no big ceremony, just all business. Everybody knew who the leader of this team was heading into training camp. And I think that was very important. They had a really solid camp, which is something they put an emphasis on. But I think just that buy-in that you got from everybody arriving really early and the captain skates taking place earlier than most NHL teams do. And certainly earlier than we ever saw the leadership group in this in this city get out here um, in recent years. Like we, we highlighted this, the, the leadership guys were the last ones here two years ago. And this year they were the first, they were leading by example. And I think that's how you get that buy-in from your team. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. 
I mean, it feels like they've gotten just about everything right this season, Irf. And, and in hindsight, Quinn was the right choice as captain. I, I know I was in the Elias Pettersson for captain camp, but I, I'll cop and readily admit that they got it right. And it wasn't that I doubted Quinn Hughes, but he has taken the responsibility, has leveled up. Uh, I mean, a lot of them have, but I, I think now when we reflect after uh, half a season or just past the midway mark, they got it right by putting the C on Quinn. Oh, absolutely. And I think that even in the tail end of last season a little bit, you know, when after losses, Quinn would be the guy that was standing there and waiting to take the questions from the media. I mean, look, he's a guy that's going to be here for a very long time. He's an elite defenseman. Um, and he was definitely the right guy. I think Elias Pettersson, obviously, you know, maybe not so much the media stuff doesn't really like doing it too, too much. And and there, there's a lot that goes into being a captain for uh, an NHL franchise. You're not only, you know, the captain on the ice, you've got to do stuff in the community. You've got to, you know, be around and be available for different types of events and, and things like that when it comes to the team. And Quinn Hughes has done that. And I think that, you know, when you look at some of their past captains and those are the right guys for the job. Now, you know, the, I've made the example of, it. you know, some teams have captains for the sake of having captains and the other guys, it's the other guy team like kind of in Toronto you know John Tavares is the captain but that's definitely Austin Matthews team in this team it's not the case it's Quinn's team yeah and his play has been spectacular and obviously we've seen him level up with the goal scoring up to a dozen here at the all-star break and you know just doing things smashing his own records (laughs) and that's just become a thing with him year in year out and I guess when you look at this hockey club and we've spat out the team statistics, but to have three guys over 60 points, Dave, at the All-Star break, JT Miller at 67, Elias Pettersson at 64, Quinn Hughes at 62, and Quinn was the guy, he had 10 points over the five-game homestand here that just wrapped up, and that was the most on this team. Like, I'm not ruling out Quinn Hughes winning the Vancouver Canucks team scoring derby (laughs) at season's end. Uh, He's got a little bit more work to do, but... uh, uh, how is this all going to shake out? JT takes a three-point lead over Elias Pettersson. They're all there in Toronto representing the hockey club, along with Thatcher Demko and Brock Besser. And, of course, where Tockett goes as well. As we sit here, though, all-star break roundtable. <laughs> Who's going to win the Canucks scoring derby? I love the Quinn Hughes pick. I absolutely love the Quinn Hughes pick. I think Elias Pettersson. I, I think I'm going to go with Elias Pettersson. But that's not to say that Quinn Hughes might not touch 100 points. Yeah. And... Last year, like I voted on the Norris Trophy. I wasn't going to put Eric Carlson on my ballot, but once he eclipsed 100 points, I just looked at that and said, okay, that's too great of a feat for a defenseman to hit to not win the Norris Trophy. If Queen Hughes hits 100 points and he's playing on A, a winning team, and B, he's also providing like elite level defense, He not only is he a shoe in to win the Norris Trophy, but... It's going to be one of the most impressive seasons we've seen from a defenseman in the modern era NHL. Irv, who's taking home the scoring derby here? It's JT Miller. I, I really think it is. Look, I, I, it's, you know, you have the Elias Pettersons, obviously, and Quinn Hughes, but I think it's JT. I think he's just on the ice way too much to not. I mean, he's power play, PK. They're just doing well five on five. If they re- reunite the lotto line after the all-star break and down the stretch, you know JT's going to get his. He touches the puck a lot. I really do think it's going to be JT Miller. It's interesting, though, because, you know, the JT Miller conversation with with this team and everything is obviously going to be scrutinized heavily because of the contract that he signed. But up to this point, in all reality, Jeff, I, I really do think that, you know, he, he's been worth every penny. One of the things that we haven't touched on here, and at some point we can, but who's going to play with whom down the yeah. stretch? We assume that the Canucks are going to 
be active at the trade deadline. It feels like a top six forward now becomes the focus for this group. And, you know, one of the storylines heading into the uh, All-Star break was how quiet Elias Pettersson's wingers have gone. And when he's not on the lotto line, that's asking an awful lot of Elias Pettersson to do the heavy lifting with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, who have basically gone into hiding when it comes to their <laughs> offense right now. So, you know, if they find a winger for Elias Pettersson, that maybe changes the calculus a little bit uh, as far as what's possible for him. But uh, it is going to be fascinating to, to watch 33 games to go right out of the All-Star break, guys, uh, in Carolina. That's not going to be easy. And then after that, it's Boston. So, you know, quite a one-two punch on the other side of the break. And then back-to-back weekend matinee games in Washington and Detroit, or Detroit and Washington. And early hockey hasn't always brought out the best in the Vancouver Canucks, but uh, there are going to be so many good games, big games, on the other side of the All-Star break. And in years gone by, we would look at that sort of stretch of a schedule and think, uh-oh, this is going to be the Canucks undoing. And I think there has to be excitement in that locker room, but also in this market with what they've done here in the first half of the season. Like, they're up to this challenge. Like, they should be ready to take on all comers. And so, you know, three left against Winnipeg and three yeah. left against Vegas. They've still got a couple of left against Colorado. They're going to see Edmonton late in the season. They've got one left with Dallas. Like, it's going to feel like every other night they're going to see a contender. And that's great. I mean, this group needs, I think, to be playoff hardened and tested. I mean, for a lot of these guys, their only taste of playoff hockey so far was the bubble in the summer with no fans in attendance. Like, that's not playoff hockey. It was that year under the most unique circumstances. But I think it's great that they've got this sort of murderer's row in the second half. And again, you know, it's not, oh, the Canucks have this tough schedule. The Canucks are a tough out right now. So other teams have to look at the Canucks and think like, that's going to be a great test. That feels weird to say, right? Like, like, <laughs> with all the stuff we've heard in past years about what the Canucks mean to contending teams. And look, the Canucks would always sneak out those victories, but it was always because you could tell the contenders weren't taking them seriously. Right. It's not like that anymore. And it's almost a, a different vibe that we need to get used to uh, in this city. I did want to mention one thing about the JT Miller contract because I thought Earth brought up a really good point about it. And that's just the fact that when that contract was signed, a lot of people scrutinized it because well, this team's not going to compete. And if you sign a contract like that, you want to be competing in the early years of it. Yeah, maybe the tail end isn't great. This team's competitive. It's the first year of the contract. They're competitive. And like Irf said, he's worth every penny right now. So I think when you sign that contract, you're kind of signaling that you want to compete. We just didn't think it would be possible. Here they are. Well, all these individual performances, it is remarkable. I mean, collectively as a group, they sit atop the NHL standings and a number of guys are front runners or right there for year-end awards. And that leads us to our Betway bet of the day here on Rink Wide. Quinn Hughes, the betting favorite to win the Norris right now. You can get him at 162. Kale McCarr, second on the board at 240 at the All-Star break. Nobody else is even close. So that one does look like a two-horse race for the top defenseman. Hughes, a much longer shot to win the heart, 26-1 to one right now. Nathan McKinnon with the slight edge on Nikita Kucherov at the All-Star break. Rick Tockett, the odds-on favorite to win Coach of the Year. Thatcher Demko running second to Connor Hellebuck for the Vesna. You can check out all the individual awards odds at Betway. Must be 19+. plus. Please play responsibly. Lots more to come here. We've got a lot of other topics to get to. Again, we'll relive some of our favorite games here. We're going to get the guys to project out win totals and point totals for the Vancouver Canucks and what ultimately represents success. They've come this far, this fast this season. So where is the bar now in this Vancouver hockey market with the Canucks and what will represent a truly successful season? It's a rink-wide roundtable. Jeff, along with Irf and Dave, you are listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. 
Kicking around all things Canucks here on this rink-wide roundtable. Jeff along with Irf and David. Guys, what do we make of the recent homestand? They kind of scuffled along. I mean, they didn't look great against Arizona and Chicago. They won both of those games. They had their work cut out for them against Columbus in the final game, but ultimately pulled that one out. The Leafs, they had the big lead. They let it get away. And then there was the one loss, one dropped point, And that was the overtime loss to the St. Louis Blues, a game that had a little controversy in it as well. So nine out of 10 points on a five-game homestand that takes them into this all-star break. Again, not at their best. Was this simply the dog days are there any red flags for either one of you in the way this team is playing? We always hear about the process. Or should we be standing up and applauding this group that even when not at their best, they still took nine of 10 points? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, Jeff. It, it, it's nine out of the possible 10 points. I mean, look, you're you're going to get into a situation where you might not be playing at your best. And I think Rick Tockett did say that he didn't like some players' games, obviously, and he didn't like his team game. And no matter what, they still were able to find a way to win. And I think that that's the biggest thing for this team that they've had a lot of trouble doing over the recent years is finding ways to win games. Even if you're out of it, even if the games are mucky and they're gross, you know, ugly winning is still winning hockey games. You're still getting two points on the board. And, you know, we say points are a premium in the NHL and the Canucks have a lot of them, but taking out a nine out of 10 when you're not playing well, Jeff, I I, I think they'll take that every day. Dave, how do you look at the homestand? You'll see later when I pick my favorite game of the season. Ah, Okay, it narrows the field. (laughs) It does narrow it a little bit. But I think everything Irv said is absolute fact. You just look at what, you know, the games that they almost lost, the one with Columbus is a big one. They storm back and put the pedal to the metal. And again, you're a little bit concerned about the second period, but I attribute that largely to dog days. Like you just said, there's going to be ups and downs in a season. And I think you'd rather have your downs mean that you're going to get nine out of 10 points on a homestand and not look spectacular doing it every single night, but you still got it done. And I think that's what matters the most for this team. I think what encouraged me the most about the homestand was the return of the electric power play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When they needed power play goals, they were able to summon the offense necessary. That's how they stormed out of the gates, right? Like the top end guys were doing it at five on five, but also uh, had some big nights on the power play. And then really for December and much of January, power play had kind of gone quiet, but they were winning games five on five. And then on the homestand, power play won them the game against the Leafs, right? Like had the lead, let it get away. And then the third period, chips are down. Couple power play goals, same thing the other night against uh, the Blue Jackets. They went seven for 18 in these five games. I mean, that's uh, up almost at 40% in a five game span. You're not going to stay at 40 over the bulk of the season, but just the fact that this power play getting its groove back, there were some spots during the homestand that they weren't great, but the power play can cover a lot of those. And if this thing gets humming again over the final 33 games and tunes up for the playoffs, this power play can win them a bunch more games. Well, that's the thing. I was talking to someone that doesn't play on the team that did formally and said that they've got great goaltending and an elite power play. And those are two things that'll get you, you know, to go a long way in the playoffs. And, you know, obviously the whistles kind of go away a little bit, but the Canucks are pretty good at drawing penalties too. And I think that that's a big thing. You know, that means you're always moving your feet in both both ends of the ice. You're making it difficult for other teams to play against with the hooking calls and, and, and tripping and things like that. But yeah, the power play is great. I mean, the way that they move the puck is pretty, pretty special to watch. I mean, it's it's the zipping of the passes. It's getting into open space. It's, you know, Brock Besser not just standing in one spot and, and you know, being complacent. It's, it's moving into those open areas. So the power play has been good, and I don't know if it can get any better, but it definitely can. Well, and it's funny, the Columbus game the other day where they score the three in the third period, I'm sure the Blue Jackets, Dave, had done their pre-scout and probably should have learned their lesson and stayed out of the penalty box, but they couldn't <laughs> help themselves. But... I think you see, 
like the return of the seam pass there, and and look, we've seen enough seam passes kill the Canucks over the last couple of seasons. They basically are are turning the tables on opponents, but so much of that comes from teams want to shade out high to try to take Quinn Hughes away. Yep. And there's just no way to defend Quinn Hughes, but if you want to allocate some of your resources and plant a guy up high, that's going to leave open ice. And that's where, you know, JT Miller may be underrated in his passing skills, but they killed Columbus on that cross-team pass. Yeah, and Brock Besser touched on that post-game of that Columbus game, and he said that that's the play that we used to feed to Bo, and we're starting to get it back. And I think, you know, when we talk about the dog days and we talk about where we are in the season— you're looking for those kind of takeaways, right? Where you can see like, okay, the power play's clicking right now and they're finding different ways to succeed. And look, in the playoffs, there's going to be pre-scouts. There's going to be a lot of penalty killers kind of taking away your favorite plays. So you're going to have to find new ways to score. And I think that's the takeaway right now is that they're getting that play back where they're they're getting right back into the bumper and they're finding that cross-seam pass. It hasn't been there for much of this season, but they're getting back to it now and they're finding different ways to score. And that's what matters. Well, hopefully the break doesn't stunt any momentum here because uh, it's been a long time coming to get this power play back to the levels it's been at uh, heading into the All-Star break. So we'll see what happens again when they reconvene uh, in Carolina and then Boston, Detroit, Washington, and Chicago to round out the five-game road trip. They they start with eight of ten on the road out of this All-Star break. So that's (laughs) going to be a tough stretch for them. But uh, the flip side there is so much home cooking, including that nine-game homestand. They're basically at home for the month of March. So... Uh, So much good going for this Vancouver team. We've talked about it individually, collectively, special teams. Uh, Penalty kill has come alive as well. There's a huge kill, the five-minute major against the Blue Jackets in the third period. So uh, they should be feeling good about a lot. But it's the Canucks. It's a Vancouver market that is highly scrutinized, and there are always issues. And that leads us to uh, the two Russian wingers in particular. Uh, I mean, the Andre Kuzmenko story has been ongoing since the middle of November uh, Mikheyev has joined him, unfortunately, and just uh, nothing happening for him. 17 games without a goal as he hits the All-Star break. So where does this storyline ultimately lead for the Vancouver Canucks with five weeks to go before the trade deadline? Well, I think the bigger picture, if you look at it, Jeff, is is one or both of them going to be a Canuck past the trade deadline. I think that that's the biggest thing, right? And I mean, there's been so much talk surrounding Andre Kuzmenko. And, you know, he's a guy that scored 39 goals in this National Hockey League. Jim Rutherford said that he can play. And he also said whether it's he can score in the NHL, whether it's here or somewhere else. So it's not just me and us in the media that are saying it, right? The own pres- Their own president is saying that. So I think that, you know, that's a situation that we're going to have to monitor. But we've talked about it so much. I mean, he's getting fourth line ice time and then he gets elevated to the top unit power play and you still don't do anything and I think that that's the toughest part the Mikheyev thing to me is they still haven't gotten the player that the Toronto Maple Leafs had and you know his agent even said that you know Ilya Mikheyev hasn't been become Ilya Mikheyev of old yet I understand the knee surgery I understand things like that but if you're asking Elias Pettersson to carry two guys that basically for lack of better words are dead weight right now it's it's definitely getting tough on number 40 there Dave, how concerned are you about uh, one or both of uh, the two wingers we're talking about here? So this was a topic that we've dove into quite a bit lately. And similar to what Irf just said, you've got dead weight. And in other seasons with this team, you'd be okay with that dead weight. You'd you'd have time to wait for Kuzmenko and Mikheyev to figure it out. And Mikheyev, he signed long-term, I get it. You know, maybe you have a little bit more time. I think the clock's run out on Andre Kuzmenko. You can't afford to wait any longer. If, if if you wait longer, and I mean, look, the trade deadline's coming up, so I'm not trying to be too reactive here, but this team doesn't have time to wait for guys to get it. You're either on board and, and playing in, in a manner that's going to help this team win games in the playoffs, 
or you're not. And look, if the playoffs started tomorrow, Andre Kuzmenko's either not getting much ice time or he's not in the lineup at all. Yeah. So I think when you look at it that way, yeah, something's got to give here. You know, I, I've made that point on the nights when he has been a healthy scratch is if Rick Tockett won't play him in a January game in St. Louis, what's going to happen if they match up against Vegas or Edmonton in in round one? And you're right. Like, we don't know what the roster is going to look like after the trade deadline. But again, hypotheticals here. If he sticks around, but they do add somehow, which is going to be difficult because it's got to be some dollars in and, and dollars out. But I mean, if Rick Tockett has options. I'm not convinced that Andre Kuzmenko's in uniform yep. for the opening night of the playoffs. And if he is, is he just sitting down there at the end of the bench? And what does that accomplish? Uh, because it just doesn't feel like this coach and this player uh, mesh to the point that it's going to get any better. Like, I, I think that they've extended the leash. They've, you know, done the punishment scratches. They've scratched him for consecutive games, hoping that there was a message being sent there and, here he is. Uh, he hasn't scored a goal since uh, the game before Christmas against San Jose. And, and you know, the nights that he's been apparent and found his way onto the score sheet, Chicago, San Jose, Ottawa. Well, guess what? You're not going to be facing those yeah. teams in the playoffs. You're going to be facing good teams that lock it down. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't know how this ends well for Andre Kuzmenko and the Vancouver Canucks. Well, I mean, and another telling thing, Jeff, is, no disrespect to Pia Suter. He's having a great season, but he's on their top power play unit. Yeah. Right? Yep. And Andre Kuzmenko scored 39 goals in the National Hockey League, and he's not even there anymore. Rick Tockett's job is to put a lineup out there every single night to try and win a hockey game. Right now, having Andre Kuzmenko out there night in and night out is not your best chance. There are other guys who will come in and give more of an effort and work on both ends as, as they have been and as what Rick talking and his staff demands. So I agree with Quads with kind of your point that, you know, it, it, it might be over for a guy like Andre Kuzmenko. And having said that, though, it's going to be tough to move that contract. I know there's a couple of teams that have been interested and definitely, you know, would like to see how the services would work if the Canucks have to retain salary or are going to have to take another contract back. But it's looking like it's going to come to an end here in a few weeks. Yeah, and I don't think at this point it's about winning that trade. I think no. the win is moving off the contract, free up space that you then use to go and bring in a player that fits the system, that can uh, find the scoring touch, that can complement Elias Pettersson. And so it's not about trying to, you know, hose another team or hit a home run with that player. It's more about just moving off that contract. One contract that they're not looking to move off anytime soon, Dave, and I know you like to touch on goaltending, uh, we can't talk about the success of this team without the goaltending, and really it is the platoon, and Casey DeSmith's acquisition has turned out to be a stroke of brilliance for the Vancouver Canucks, but, I mean, their goaltending story is Thatcher Demko. He's healthy. Uh, he got back in the lineup late last season and gave us a glimpse that, you know, last year was the anomaly here, that uh, when he's on his game, uh, he's as good as anybody in the National Hockey League, and he has been terrific for the Vancouver Canucks. He's had his ups and downs. Uh, lately, a lot of, lot of Canucks Army commenters have been turning on Thatcher Demko. And just win, baby. Exactly. You, you just need to win the games. And also, if, if everybody on this team has had excuses at various points in the season, not from the players, but when we talk about Elias Patterson going through a rough patch or JT Miller going through a rough patch or not scoring in a few games, extend that same generosity to the goaltender as well because this guy is going to be the guy that leads you anywhere in the playoffs you're going to need Thatcher Demko to be at his best during the playoffs and he's been great this season you're going to need him to be good in the playoffs so if if he has a bad second period against Columbus okay you live with that if he has a bad period against the Maple Leafs and they still win the game you live with that. You live with that. And I, I don't want to hear any criticism of Thatcher Demko because I've heard way too much of it lately. <laughs> He's had a great season. And like I've said before, 
it's going to be a two-horse race for the Vesna between him and Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg. Demko's been great, Earth, but yeah. he's also benefited from a team that has given him all kinds of run support. Oh, absolutely. And it starts with his backup goalie as well, right? Casey DeSmith, the acquisition before the season, turns out might be one of their best acquisitions that they've made in, in quite some time. You know, he was a guy that we talked about it on a number of rink-wide postgame shows, Jeff, where they might have to change their plans here when it was a scheduled Demko start. Can we give the ropes to Casey DeSmith because he has played so well? And I think that that's a luxury that, you know, Thatcher Demko, Ian Clark, and, and Casey DeSmith in that goalie room definitely um, enjoy. Uh, when you look at Thatcher Demko's game, you know, you don't need him to be at his best right now, even though he is playing well and things like that. You need him at an absolute best when it really means something come, you know, the end of April and, and May. And they obviously, if they make it a little bit longer than that, the run support's been incredible. I mean, look, they can get into that shooting match with teams. You look at the game against the New Jersey Devils, that 6-5 game right they can score with the best of them um and i think that that's a thing that you know obviously the the, the goalies don't want to have to pull the puck out of the net three or four times a game you want to make some saves there but if you're able to do that if you have to do that you know your guys have your back with being able to score five or six well too many years uh certainly all those travis green yeah. years <laughs> where if you're a goaltender and you give up one all of a sudden you knew that your team needed two <laughs> to win in regulation and two was a big ask on a lot of and if you gave up two now all of a sudden the idea of the Canucks roaring back with three come on but uh here they score four and five and six and ten yeah I mean it uh, it's a great situation for the goaltending and so it cuts both ways but the Canucks certainly feel like they've got one of the best goaltending tandems and it's going to be interesting to watch the workload in fact it's something I'm going to dig into at uh, Canucks Army here over the next week is you know, how much is too much for Thatcher Demko yeah. with an eye towards having him as fresh and ready as possible for the playoffs, and they should feel pretty comfortable when they turn to Casey DeSmith. Again, we're going to get to prediction time here. Uh, we do this on every post-game pod. We've got a stat that stands out, so I thought for consistency's sake, uh, we would bring that to the roundtable as well. We'll get to that in a moment. But I want to tell you that Rinkwide is a presentation of Seagram's VO Select Canadian Whiskey, artfully blended and impeccably crafted. Make it your very own. It's a product of Canada Seagram's VO Select, proudly bottled by the old Montreal distillery in, yes, you guessed it, Montreal, but it is available nationwide. Seagram's VO Select, currently available in BC liquor stores. So visit Seagram's VO Select on the liquor store website, or you can find it at your own liquor store in person. And again, we welcome Seagram's VO Select to rink-wide Vancouver with Earth and Dave. We've convened the round table. We still got a whole lot more, so stick around. More of rink-wide coming up in a moment. We have followed the Vancouver Canucks every step of the way, 49 games through their 82-game season, and we'll knock off more post-game pods after each and every one. And of course, this team's going to the playoffs, and we are excited to continue post-game podcasts uh, once we get the games that really matter as well. So the first time since we have been doing rink-wide, the Vancouver Canucks will be a playoff team. We'll get to some of our predictions here in a sec, but I, I mentioned earlier, we always do a stat that stands out. And or if you mentioned that New Jersey game uh, moments ago, yeah. got to go way back to early December then. So I was looking at this, that last season at the All-Star break, the Vancouver Canucks had surrendered five or more goals in a game 21 times. <laughs> 21! It's happened four times this season. <laughs> and the last time was that 6-5 loss to the New Jersey Devils uh, on December the 5th, I believe it was. So 
We're coming up to, by the time they get back in action in Carolina after the break, it'll be two full months since they have given up five goals in a hockey game. I mean, you really want to look at the differences between last year's team and this year's team. Last year's team could score goals. They couldn't prevent them. And they have done with the Rick Tockett structure that we talked about right off the top and the goaltending. That has been sort of the biggest change for this year's group of Vancouver Canucks. So yeah, 21 times last year before the All-Star break, gave up five or more this time. It's only happened on four occasions. All right. I gave you guys a little homework because we got this idea to come up with a special pod here during the break. And uh, one of the things I said was, you know, just go back and look through the schedule, come up with a game that jumps out at you, that stuck with you all of these months or or weeks later, or in Quadrelli's case, days later. We'll we'll get Dave's (laughs) prediction in a sec. But Arf, we'll start with you. Of the 49 that they've played, is there one that uh, really you kind of clung to yeah, I go into mid-November against the Islanders, that 4-3 overtime win, down 2-0, down 3-1, Bo's returned, Bo scores in Rogers Arena. I mean, there's so much emotion there, obviously, from both sides, um, with the way things happen with the trade and everything like that, for him to come back and, you know, the big media scrums before the game, but... Quinn Hughes, three points. JT Miller, three points. Brock, three points. 43 (laughs) shots on net. And 43 is an interesting number because that's who scored the overtime winner. And it wasn't just any of those ordinary overtime winners, Jeff. He called this shot. He was Ola Nolan at the All-Star game pointing to that top corner. (laughs) He was Babe Ruth at the plate pointing to exactly where he was. As soon as he got that puck, we've talked about it before. Like, you knew that puck was going in the back of the net. And I think that, to me, that game kind of encapsulated what the Canucks were about. And even all these games since then is kind of that's the identity of that team, that they're going to claw their way back even against good teams and find ways to win. I love that selection. You're right. I mean, just the uber confidence of Quinn Hughes. Like, there was no way... He was going to miss that breakaway and the setup feed to walk in basically untouched from center. The other thing that was cool about that night was, you mentioned all the individual point totals, that night, Quinn, JT, and Elias Pettersson all left the building tied Mm -hmm. for first place in National Hockey League scoring with 26 points. Just optically to see it, to go to NHL.com and click on the stats and one, two, three, all tied there. All of them, Vancouver Canucks. So, uh, yeah, an incredible night uh, against the Islanders. And so poetic because Bo Horvat, he missed the defensive zone coverage <laughs> yeah, on the Hughes goal, right? So there was that aspect of it too. We saw that so much in Vancouver. Bo scores a goal and then doesn't defend and then the Canucks lose. Saw it the other way around. It was so poetic. And now that I have to bring up mine, I feel kind of bad because it's not nearly as good as the one Earth pick. Yeah, but involved overtime. It's good. And like Earths, it's got a good story. I'm going with the most recent game that we saw against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Is that because you can't remember any of the other games? You just went with recency bias? No, it's because Brock Besser finally hit 30 goals. That's the big thing that stands out for me is, look, we know Brock Besser the person. We know everything he's been through. I think that's one of the best stories that this team has had this year, aside from coming back from being down 4-1 to start the third period, which is an incredible enough feat in itself. But for Brock Besser to score the hat trick at Rogers Arena... On his 30th goal of the season, a milestone he has been chasing for so, so long. I think it's the best story that this team has had this season. But damn, Bo Horvath's return to Vancouver is a very (laughs) close second, if not the top story uh, that they've had. Oh, and it's a memorable game. I mean, comebacks are always stirring when they end the way. I mean, they had a comeback against St. Louis that didn't quite end the way they wanted. But when they got it right, and it was Elias Pettersson with his second of the night and you know, against the backdrop of the turnover that led to the shorthanded goal and the first goal of the night and the coach's comments, and then uh, Petey got it right. And 
for Brock, as you said, it's just, that's been such a good news story. And it started with the four on opening that against the Oilers, but he's had three hat tricks now. And what a difference a year makes for, for Brock Besser. And it, it was funny because we were talking earlier about the success of the power play. It comes on three on three. So it's not a special teams goal, but a ton of ice and best players out there. I didn't notice it on Saturday, but when I went back and watched the winning goal, like I couldn't get over Zach Wierenski completely ignoring Elias Pettersson as he circles behind the net without the puck mm-hmm. and Wierenski just puck watching. But again, it's Quinn Hughes, it's Brock Besser. Like they're mesmerizing. You can understand why your opponents are are sort of locked onto these guys. But, you know, we're seeing that. That's becoming a bit of uh, a sneaky Pete, if you will, because uh, he scored the power play goal against the Leafs that way yep. where he circled the net. Defenders lose him, and yeah. he's the wrong guy to lose. And sure enough, there he was on the doorstep to bang home the winner. So, no, I mean, that's a, a fun game. The opponent, take that into context. <laughs> but, you know, so much better for the Canucks to go into the break on a high and after a win rather than a you know an ugly loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, uh, I think uh, for lots of those reasons, and certainly a night that Brock Besser will never forget getting to 30. For me, there have been splashier games, but when I look at games that maybe signaled what this team was about and what it was capable of. You go back to the the 10-1 win against San Jose, and that's not my answer here. <laughs> the following game was against the Dallas Stars, a Saturday night, Rogers Arena. The Stars at the time were 7-1-1, one, and one, and with that win over San Jose, the Canucks moved to 7-2-1. and one. And so it was an early season heavyweight slugfest based on the records at the very least. And the Stars, a very credible opponent, obviously. And I was curious, you know, they had their laugher at the tank, How were they going to respond against a good Dallas team? And they traded chances in the first period, nothing doing, no goals. But you may remember Thatcher Demko had that glove save on Wyatt Johnson. It was just incredible. One of his saves of the season. Then as the night unfolded, uh, Pia Suter scored, Elias Pettersson scored. Ian Cole had a massive hit on Matt Duchesne. Like the crowd was into it. And for me, I remember my takeaway that night was, this has been missing for so long now in this market was sort of a marquee matchup where both teams were good. The crowd was into it, hanging on everything. It was just fun. Like the fun sort of return to Rogers Arena and it's been there on most nights. But for me, the Canucks grinding out a low scoring game against a a good Dallas opponent, I thought spoke volumes, especially coming off a win where maybe they thought that, hey, they're all going to be easy now. Uh, That wasn't the case, but they beat the Stars then. They've beaten a handful of other good teams as well. So that was one that uh, jumps out at me. I don't know if you guys, there's anything from that night that uh, stuck with you, but uh, certainly I thought that that sent some sort of message that this is a little different. This group, there's something with this group that it's able to to win a game like this one. I think that one really stands out because to that point, the Canucks hadn't really faced any top yeah. teams. And that was kind of the first litmus test of the season. And like you said, Jeff, kind of a signal to everybody that, okay, this team is different. Well, they beat the Stars and they've beaten a lot of good teams uh, since then. And as we said, this final stretch run there are going to be a ton of big games. So that's going to make this uh, a whole lot of fun between now and the postseason. Ultimately, what they do over these final 33 games is going to determine where they finish in the Pacific Division, in the Western Conference, the overall standing. So it is prediction time, guys. How does this play out for a hockey club that is 33-11-5 through its first 49 games? Just an incredible pace. But uh, I asked you both to come up with predictions for both the win total and the final point total for the Vancouver Canucks. Or what have you got? 53 total wins. I think that they're going to win 20. 
of their next 33 games. I just think that if you look at the opponents, yes, they're going to play the Dallas Stars. Yes, they're going to play the the Vegas Golden Knights a few times, the Winnipeg Jets, the LA Kings. They're going to play a lot of good teams, but this team is a good team. Um, And I think that when it gets down to it and to getting to these meaningful games, like we just talked about earlier in this show, that they need to be in those hard games. They need to be in those meaningful games. We're not going to have the quote-unquote death march anymore. Instead, it's going to be get battle-tested, get ready for the postseason. So I think this team can do it. I think that with the consistency of their goaltending, with the way that the power play has been kicking, and if they add at the deadline, and get a top six player or they they move a defenseman and get another defenseman this team can only get better and i and i think that you know this is coaching staff and obviously you know the, the management team definitely knows that they want to get better and it's going to be an interesting next five weeks not to mention a few months here all right dave you mentioned it almost daily on connect combo <laughs> that math isn't uh necessarily your strong suit or your friend but yeah so People know that. <laughs> so basically what happened is I came in here, started trying to work backwards, and that was not a good method because I had them, I just wrote 109 points. And then I worked backwards and saw, okay, that's not nearly as many wins. That's more losses than I would anticipate. So like Earth, I have them at 53 wins. I have them at 113 points to finish the season, which means 11 losses and two overtime losses to go with the 20 wins. I think 113 points is a lot higher than I would have thought. But once I actually had to do the math, which took me about 20 minutes, as you guys know, um, that's what I came up with. 113 points, 20 20 wins, two overtime losses. This is kind of wild because we did not compare notes. I also have them (laughs) going 20 and 13, which means 20 wins, 40 more points. Gets them to 111 on the season. Now, I have to cop to the fact that it wasn't that long ago, earlier this month, in fact, uh, so Garrison Price had a poll question about will they be a 100-point team this season? And I just thought with the games that you mentioned, Earth, you know, there are going to be some losses along the way. They're not going to win yeah. them all. It just some nights feels like they will. And I thought their pace would slow down. And I said they're going to get close, but they're going to fall short. But now I look, like 20 and 13 seems eminently doable for this hockey club. And that gets them to 111 points. So <laughs> I think I got that one wrong. Uh, they're going to be a 100-point team, which is uh, remarkable. And the fact that they've got 71 already in the bag at the All-Star break. So with all of that said, 111 points is going to uh, put them in good stead to take a run at the overall. I mean, people here in this market have been there and done that with the President's Trophy. I don't know that finishing over first overall mm-hmm. is the most important goal. First in the West, certainly. Likely to yield a, an easier first-round playoff opponent. And most certainly you want to finish first in the Pacific Division. So we'll see how it all plays out, guys. But as we wrap up the special roundtable here, all of this good that the Vancouver Canucks have done, the chance that they may add to this roster to make them an even better hockey club, how do we define success? What will make this a successful season for the Vancouver Canucks? Surf? Well, I think, one, winning the division. I think you've been the big dog all season long. You can't just not win your division with the way that things have played. But you get into the postseason and you have to keep the ball rolling. I, I don't think that getting into the postseason and having home ice, if they do, in fact, and they probably will, and you go out in the first round is, is deemed a success. Yes, you know, the bubble playoffs were, were whatever, and then you didn't make the playoffs a couple of seasons. You can't be happy, right? And, and I think that that's the message from Rick Tockett and his coaching staff and all the way from the top down, to be completely honest, is we're not going to be happy just going into the playoffs and getting in for a round. I think you have to win a run round minimum. You know, your, your goals are definitely way higher than that. So we've heard this team is going to be very aggressive at the deadline. So Earth brought up goals being way higher than that. I said winning a President's Trophy is great, but go win the cup. 
That's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal that you're playing towards. So Okay, fair enough, but that's not the question here. It's not a failure. You're right. It's not a failure if they don't get to the cup. I am saying that if they are looking to make their mark at the trade deadline and be aggressive, you have to go deep into the playoffs. I Again, if, I, if I'm setting it at what's a disappointment, obviously a first-round exit, but I'd also say a second-round exit. If you have that home ice advantage, getting knocked in the second round probably isn't what this team is hoping that their ceiling is going to be. So you hope that it doesn't end there because if you're going, I don't want to use the term all-in because we don't know what they're going to do yet, but if they're going to be very aggressive at the deadline, which by all accounts they will be, you're hoping for more than two rounds of playoff hockey. Hope, sure. I, I just think that I'm a believer that you do have to walk before you run. And I think that they have sprinted to <laughs> this record here that kind of came out of nowhere. Like I, I was in the camp that thought they would be bumping up against the the playoff bar. And if all went right, as Jim Rutherford said on the EVA training camp, that you know, they could be a playoff team. Like there was enough star power here that they could get into the playoffs. But the idea that we're sitting here at the All-Star break talking about first overall and president's trophies and all those types of things, that said, you look around them in the West, you know, Vegas, the defending champs, Colorado, a winner not that long ago. The Dallas Stars have had a bunch of deep runs to the Stanley Cup. The Edmonton Oilers have had playoff failure, but they've been in the postseason. I do think that experience, especially when the baseline for Patterson and Besser and Hughes and Demko was the bubble, I, I do think experience matters to a degree. So sure. I think, for me, they have to win a round. They absolutely have to win a round. That this yeah. team is built with star power at every position, if they don't win a round, like if they get in, and as you said, we've been there. Like you think back to the end of the Sedin era where they had home ice against the Kings. Now the Kings were not your typical eighth seed and ultimately they went on to win the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. But that was a one against eight and the Canucks did nothing with home ice there. The following year was the ultimate disappointment that led to the firing of Alan Vigneault where they got swept by the San Jose Sharks. But even the last time that they were in traditional playoffs and playoff games at Rogers Arena, they had home ice against the Calgary Flames. They were the higher seeded there and they lost. So uh, again, I think that the way the season's gone, the way that the star players have leveled up, they have to win around. Now, playoff hockey a lot of times is about matchups and there's a world of very possible world where they run into the defending champs in round one. Like, that's not going to be easy. But playoff hockey isn't supposed to be easy. I still think for all the good that they've done, they can't flush it with a first-round exit. So I think at least one round just to give this fan base something to really chew on. To I mean, I think the buy-in is back. We feel it around the rink on a lot of nights now. But, uh, man, that would be a shame for all the good that they've done if they kind of went meekly in round number one. The way I look at it, and maybe, maybe my expectations are too high, but the way I look at it is I'd expect this team right now to win a playoff round. If you're adding at the deadline, if you're aggressive at the deadline, and we're asking what is deemed a success, I, I don't know if I'm ready to say getting bounced in the second round is a success. Now, okay, who your second round opponent is, does it go seven games, is it close? Okay, sure, you might be able to call that a success, but like if you get swept in the second round, I wouldn't call that a success. I think the book on the Canucks from good teams that they've played and they've lost to Vegas, they've lost to, I mean, Flames aren't a good team, but they've lost to the Flames is they don't like being played against physically. And if you lean on them, you know, that's kind of where they bend a little bit. And that's exactly what the playoffs are. 
So if you're looking to go get experience and go get someone who's been there before or go get someone who you know is going to put you over the top, they've got to have that experience. They've got to have that pedigree of maybe wanting, maybe being one of the guys that's tougher to play against. It's tough in the faceoff circle if you're going to get a center or a winger that can score a goal. Or if you're moving a defenseman and you're trying to get a defenseman, it's someone that can eat up minutes, that can help your top two guys, you know, not have to rely on Quinn Hughes playing 30, 32 minutes a night where you're getting guys like that because it is big. It's physical in the playoffs. And... As this team is currently constructed, yes, I do believe that they can win around, but it's going to be tough. Well, the season's been fun. This has been fun, guys. We're looking forward to the final 33 games of the regular season. It starts on February 6th in Carolina, the first of a five-game road trip. And, of course, we will be there after each and every one of those games with our rink-wide post-game pods. Earth and Dave, you guys will be part of that down the stretch and, again, into the playoffs when the postseason rolls around. Enjoy what is left of the All-Star break. Again, we appreciate your support so much on the post-game pods on this special roundtable as well, guys. Uh, nice work. Absolutely. And uh, we'll reconvene when the Canucks start playing again. That's going to do it for this edition of Rink-Wide Vancouver, brought to you by Beltway. <laughs>